listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So we, we've been walking through the book of Daniel for, I don't know, probably 11 or 12 weeks, something like that. And this is what we do, we walk through the books of the Bible. Back in the summer, I had my sister and her kids, my parents were over at the house, and uh, we were getting ready, I think my brother was in town too, we were getting ready to go to uh, a neighborhood pool, and I was kind of running around making sure people were getting their bathing suits on properly and just make sure everybody's dressed, everybody ready to go, ready to go down to the pool, because we had like a dozen kids there, which is always amazing. And so we had a bunch of kids, we had a bunch of parents who didn't want to help the kids, you know, my siblings, and so uh, hopefully they're watching online, hello. And uh, so we, we were trying to get these kids ready. So I walked down my hallway just to make sure, okay, are these, are these kids ready to go? Pretty sure their dad was asleep on my couch. And uh, so I walked down, and my little niece, Edith, some of y'all know Edith, um, I don't know how old she is, because every month, uh, all those kids, they have a birthday. There's like so many kids in that family. So Edith is uh, below the age of 20. So she's, um, she's in there. She's got her bathing suit on. I said, hey, Edith, are you, are you ready to go to the pool, sweetheart? She said, yes. And just like this, she said, and my dress is on fire in the bathroom. I said, uh, be- beg your pardon? She said, my dress is on fire in the bathroom. I said, okay. So I run into the bathroom right there. Sure enough, she had taken off her dress and thrown it up on the counter because she couldn't reach really well to put it up on the counter. Well, Shannon, to help our house smell a little better, uh, she had, not that it normally stinks, we've got a doll. Anyway, so so there was a candle that was lit in the bathroom on the counter. So when dress met fire, there was more fire, big flame. So I walk in, sure enough, her dress is there on the counter in flames. So I was like, what in the world is going on? Where am I, you know? Uh, this is like the upside down. So I grab her dress, we throw it in the sink, put water on it so it puts it out. So I, went to eat it. I said, I said, sweetheart, two things. One, why were you not more upset about this? <laughs> I said, secondly, don't tell doctor which is my dad, her granddad. We call him doctor. He's not a real doctor, doesn't have a doctorate, but it's been a dream of his forever. So we decided to make it come true, even though it's fictional. But I said, don't tell doctor. But then the older, her older sister, Nora, uh, she runs in there, doctor, guess what? Nora's dress was on fire. Well, he loses it, he leaves. Anyway, but the answer that Edith gave me to the question of why were you not more uh, concerned about this? Here's what she said. She said, well, I told an adult And I said, well, you sure enough did. She said, and I knew if I told you that you would take care of it. I thought, okay, that's very logical of you. And I don't appreciate your delivery. <laughs> but here's the thing, I thought, I've been, it, it's, uh, and my oldest son, Axel, he keeps asking me, when are you going to tell that story about Edith? Because it was just crazy, man. But here's what we've seen all throughout the book of Daniel is we've seen the faithfulness of God all throughout. And so when we get to chapter six, when we see Daniel acting in faith, it's not blind faith that he's acting on. He's seen the hand of God at work all throughout his life from the time that he was a youth. He's, 
I'm gonna do this. God's got this. When Edith said, I told an adult, my dress is on fire in the bathroom, it wasn't blind faith that one of the adults would just run in there and take care of it because she's been taken care of her whole life. She knew, I've got faith in the adults. I did what I was supposed to do. So as we look at this passage this morning, this is not some, Daniel is not some super spiritual, we hold him up here, he's one of these heroes of the faith. When I was a kid, my middle name is actually Daniel. And so he was always my favorite Bible character. And I had a, a Christmas tree ornament that had Daniel on it. It was my favorite Christmas tree ornament because it was basically me. And Daniel was what I wanted to be when I was older. I was like, yeah, man, I want to be like Daniel. But Daniel's not some super, he's just an average dude who walked in faith. So as we see this, the faith that he had, though, was not blind. It was based on what God had done. He had seen the work and the hand and the move of God for decades. And that impacted and influenced how he lived. God had proven himself faithful. Psalm chapter 119, I'm going to say these words. If you would repeat these words after me, may this be our prayer again this morning. Open my eyes that I might receive your wonderful word to me. Amen. So we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to, I broke this down into a few different sections. I've actually, if you're a note taker, if you're concerned about this kind of thing, and that's great, I am, I'm a note taker. I actually have nine things I want us to see from this passage this morning. You're like, oh man, yeah, where's that connect card? Let me see if I can fill that out. Uh, But we'll walk through this uh, fairly quickly. Next week, by the way, I'll be finishing this chapter. So today is the first 18 verses. Next week, we'll be finishing chapter six. If you wanna read ahead, that's great. I already have people asking me some questions about it today. They were giving me some bits of history. Here's what I know about it. I'm like, man, that's awesome. That's great. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start with the first five verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So let's set up the picture. So last week we talked about how in the year 539, remember the old Prince song, Party Like It's 1999? We saw back in chapter five, they were partying like it's 539. The world's about to end. Everything's about to hit the fans. So they said, let's party up. Let's drink it up. We have the hand of God come down and write on the wall. They're like, are you serious? Yes. They were separated, divided, numbered into that kingdom. Now we have the Medes and the Persians. This guy, Darius, or at least this title that's given to him, Darius is here reigning. And Daniel, as he'd always done, was faithful there to the leader. So Darius says, I'm going to set up Daniel and some of these others to be in command. What we see here is these other satraps, these other religious and political leaders, they said, you know what? Doggone it, Daniel. How do you always get in this spot? We're gonna take you down. We don't like how much power you have. 
1887, uh, there was actually a, a Catholic historian, philosopher, 1887, 100 and, if my math is right, 35 years ago, he said this. His name was Lord Acton. You may be familiar with this, but he said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. These men are in power, but they wanted more. They were corrupt. Now notice though, so they say, we're gonna go find something wrong with Daniel. There's gotta be something wrong with them. We have here the very first miracle in chapter six. We've had several already through the first five chapters. The first miracle is this. We have a man who is in politics and there are no skeletons in his closet. Because notice, if you look right here at the end of verse number four, he says they were gonna find something against him, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. This dude was in politics for at this point over 70 years. He tipped at least 20%. He helped the old ladies across the road. He held true to his promises, all these things. You're like, that doesn't sound like any politician I know. I know it doesn't matter who you voted for. This, this guy is an ideal type of politician. This is amazing. They can't find anything. But notice, here's, here's what I want you to see in these first five verses. Here's the first thing that we see. The first truth is that the faithfulness that honors God is a blessing to the kingdom of man. The faithfulness that honors God is a blessing to the kingdom of man because notice right here at the end of four, the beginning of verse number five, it says, because he was faithful. What was he faithful to? Was he faithful to God? They haven't mentioned God yet. They don't begin talking about his faithfulness to God until verse number five. Here, he was faithful to the king. He had been faithful to King Neb. We saw last week he was faithful to King Billy, or as I should have called him, Christian Bell. Belshazzar, right? He had been faithful to King Belshazzar, and here he's faithful to King Darius. Darius likes this guy. He was faithful to the kingdom that he was serving. He wasn't saying, oh, this kingdom that I find myself in, even though I'm in exile, even though you've taken everything away from me and you've taken me away from everything that I know and that I love, I'm still gonna be faithful to the kingdom of man, and it was a blessing, sorry, to the kingdom of God, and it was a blessing to the kingdom of man. And then in verse number five, they say, well, we can't find anything wrong with him in his connection to the world, to this kingdom, he's faithful. So then in verse number five, we shall not find any ground for complaining against this Daniel unless now we step outside of his relationship with the kingdom and find it in connection with the law of his God. Some of you, I know so many people in this situation, so many folks are trying to get into ministry, full-time vocational ministry, so they can really start serving Jesus. So they can really serve God. So they can really find the purpose and the will of God for their lives. Now, I love my job. I, I absolutely do. So I'm not saying, hey, I don't, I don't want anybody. No. We want to raise up other people. But can I tell you, this passage is not about Daniel being the best preacher, the best prophet, the best seminary professor, the best missionary. He, he's not those things here. This is about a government employee being faithful to his God. An employee in the marketplace faithfully serving God no matter what the situation or circumstance looks like. So I would encourage you, whatever you do, go to work and faithfully serve Go sit on your phone, go lead meetings, go build buildings, go do taxes, go nurse, 
Go be AV. Go change poopy diapers, right? Whatever you do with your day, your faithfulness is a blessing to those around you. Faithfully serve your God. It'll be a blessing to the kingdom of man. But then we pick up in verse number six. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document. That it, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So these guys, I said, okay, we've got, to, we've got to draw a connection with Daniel and his God. So here's what they do. Look back at verse number six. Then these guys came by agreement. They came by, literally what this means is there was a, a smoke-filled back, dark alley kind of room. They all gathered around. They said, you know what we should do with Daniel? Let's all, let's all get together. This is some, this is plotting against Daniel. This, by the way, I don't know if it should encourage us or discourage us, that government corruption is nothing new. But here we see that it's not. The, the Bible, whatever happens in the Bible, what, what we see happening in the Bible always happens. You give folks a little bit of power, what do they want? More power. This is not a modern invention. They begin plotting the smoke-filled backroom plot. And then if you look at verse number seven, notice what they say to the king. Oh, King Darius, live forever. It says, all the presidents. Who was a president at this point? Who was a leader? Daniel. Can you imagine for a moment that Daniel would have been part of this? Probably not. He probably didn't say anybody who prays to their God for the next 30 days, we're going to throw them in a den of lions. That sounds like a great idea to me. I got to go pray for them. No. These leaders are lying about Daniel. They didn't just want Daniel demoted. They wanted Daniel dead. Can you think of anywhere else we see this in the scripture? Any other stories stick out? Tell me. Joseph, Jesus, yeah. Mordecai, yeah. And Esther, yeah. We see this same storyline playing out. There are two spirits at work through all of eternity. And we've already seen this throughout the book of Daniel. We continue to see this. There's the spirit of God that fills here Daniel, and there's the spirit of Babylon. We see at work this continual fight all throughout the scriptures. We see it even today. But then look at verse number nine. King Darius agrees to this. He said, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. We, we don't know if these men came to Darius and, and uh, he fell into the vice of vanity. Like, oh man, people praying to me. We don't know. It, it doesn't necessarily say. It may have just been that Darius made a decision based on bad information. You ever do that as a parent? One of your kids runs in. This is every day for me, by the way. One of your kids runs in. Hey, my brother, he hit me. With, with this, whatever it is, you're like, oh, no, I'm so sorry, kid number one. I'm not going to say which one it is. Kid number one. Uh, and then the other kid comes in. You won't believe they were, run, they were backing over me with the truck, you know, or something like that. Like they were hitting him just trying to get him to stop. You know, something like that. You're like, oh, 
Like, I thought you were going to be in trouble. We make these bad decisions with limited information often. So that's what Darius, we don't know why he made this decision, but he did. And because of the law of the, of the Medes and the Persians, we see this here, it was irrevocable. It could not be changed according to their tradition. Pick up in verse number 10. Look at these two verses. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. As he had done previously, then these men came, notice the next two words, by agreement, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Here's the second thing I want us to see this morning, is that the danger we don't see is usually greater than the danger that we do see. The danger that we don't see, which remember, is the spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God, we don't see that, it's actually greater than the danger that we do see, which is building our own kingdoms here. What if there was a law put into place that we could not pray for the next 30 days to the one true God? Let's just say there was a national law put into place today, November, whatever day it is, it was put into place for all of America, we could not pray to the one true God would our lives look any different? What would change in our lives? And maybe not a whole lot. Is that because we've given in to this danger that we don't see? The spirit of Babylon, the spirit of self-reliance, the spirit of self-justification, of self-righteousness, of I can do it, I can build my own kingdom, I can make all my dreams come true? Hashtag you do you. Or would we need to have prayer in our lives? Is it necessary for us to have, think about the lame excuses we have. We, not you. Think of the lame excuses that we have where we consistently reject a faithful prayer time. I've got to go to work. I need a little more sleep. I'm just too busy. Can I tell you this, friend? If you are too busy to pray, then you are too busy. If you are too busy to pray, then you are too busy. Just like so many other needs in our lives, our cars need gasoline, at least for now. We've got like 15 more years, right? Our cars need gasoline. Our lungs need oxygen. This guy needs Tex-Mex food. Your soul needs prayer. We are fighting, we are not warring against the government. We're not warring against someone who has a different view than us. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against the ruler of the principalities of darkness, the spirit of Babylon. Our soul needs prayer. That's the danger that we're fighting. Daniel here is sustained by prayer. Here's the other thing I want us to see. I guess point number four through this is that godly character is not forged in the moment of adversity. It's not created. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Godly character is not forged in the moment of adversity. It is revealed in the moment of adversity. It is revealed in the moment of adversity. Again, if we label Daniel with this super spiritual label, what we do is we remove this 
faith that is available to us through the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're like, oh man, I can't be like Daniel. He had this other special superpower. I don't, I don't have access to that. No friend, you have access to the spirit of God, to the power of God today. Don't wait until you absolutely need it and have, you think you have zero other options. Begin today. This is where godly character is going to be forged, is today. The last thing I want to say about these couple of verses right here is that in storybooks, Daniel looks like a young man. If you look at the kids' storybooks, Daniel here looks like a young man who's, who eventually is going to be thrown into this den of lions for being faithful. But like we saw last week, Daniel is at least in his 80s. And some historians, theologians would say that Daniel is even 90. So Daniel's not just walking up, hey, let me, let me get down and pray. No, this is difficult for him to do. He's, he's, he's got a walker and an oxygen tank. D dude is elderly. But can I just say this? Just because you retire from your vocation, and like we saw last week, we don't just serve God until we're 65 and then quit. Just because you retire from your vocation does not mean you retire from your devotion to God. May we be men and women who aren't just looking to the age of 60, 65, 70, 75, whatever it is. Okay, now I'm done. Now I can move to Florida. Now I can, move, now I can do this. Okay, whew, I'm done with the Jesus stuff. I've invested. I don't want to deal with kids anymore. I don't want to deal with grand. I don't want to serve anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm out. Can I tell you that at the age of 85, Charles Wesley was still preaching sermons multiple times a week on multiple days of the week. 85 years old. At the age of 90, Thomas Edison was still filing for patents with the U.S. Patent Office. At the age of 90, at 67, Michelangelo finally completed the Sistine Chapel. At 67. And at 65, Harlan Sanders started, you know which restaurant? KFC. At 65. Friends, may we not be a church who reaches the end while we still have years in front of us. May we press hard to the end. Like Daniel here, he gave his entire life, not just a few decades, to the mission of God, to the kingdom of God. We pick up in verse number 12. Let's get verses 12 and 13. Verse number 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast. I can't change it. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, notice this next phrase, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Here we actually see, uh, there in verse number 13, we see their hatred for Daniel unmasked because literally this was an ethnic slur. They were saying, this guy over here, this Jew, he's not one of us. Friends, Daniel was not the only one on trial in chapter six. The God of Israel is also on trial. We are being called to live for the Lord, not only when it costs us everything, but also when it changes nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. Because when we look at Daniel, we're like, oh man, yeah, if I was in that situation, I would do that. 
He's been in this situation for decades. The goal of our courage is not some sort of earthly success. The goal of our faithfulness is not for our circumstances to change. The goal of our courage and faithfulness is to know more of God, is to experience the presence of God. That's the goal. God doesn't promise us a better life. He promises us himself. So here we see that the king says, yes, I've, I've signed this. Let me ask you this, and this is for you all to answer. What are Daniel's options at this point? What are his options? The king says, only pray to me. Before Daniel goes and decides to pray, we know that he does that. What are Daniel's options at that moment? Before he goes and prays, how, how could he respond to the king's injunction? He could have obeyed, yeah. Could have done with the door shut, yeah. Could have shut those windows. What else? Anybody? He could have, I was about to say, what would we do as Christians in 2022 if we were being accused of something? We could have protested. We could have turned ourselves into martyrs. We could have started a parade. We could have uh, started a hashtag, maybe put some videos out, right? Put some flags, whatever that is. We could have apostatized. We could have become hypocrites. We could have, like we said a few weeks ago, we could have worn a reversible jersey with the other team name on it. But that's not what Daniel did. He remained faithful. And back in verse number 10, it says, he went to his house and prayed as he had done previously. This was nothing new for Daniel. Daniel didn't say, okay, at the moment of temptation, when I'm tempted to lose my faith, then I'm actually gonna prove myself faithful. No. These men knew that Daniel prayed to God three times a day. Otherwise, why would they have made this injunction? Why would they have made this decree? They knew this was the lifestyle of Daniel. What person in his right mind is not going to pray to God three times a day or ever? Then as soon as they make a law, you must not pray to God. You must only pray to King Darius. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to start praying to God now. No. The faithfulness of Daniel reaches back decades. He had been pursuing the, and the reason he actually looked to Jerusalem is because in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon and David are talking there. And Solomon tells David, he says, uh, here's the house, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever you are, make sure you look toward Jerusalem because this is the presence of God. Set your eyes. And he says uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, you can go read it. If you are near to the temple, if you are far but in the same country, if you are in exile, if you are a prisoner, wherever you are, set your eyes to Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God is. If you want to know and love the presence of God, set your eyes to Jerusalem. He wanted to experience that. So physically, he has this posture of, I want to know the presence of God. That's what he was pursuing. That was what was most important to us. And when we look at this, we're being called to live for the Lord, not only when it costs us everything, but also when it changes nothing. There are gonna be times in our lives when this is true. There are gonna be times in our lives, students, when you are gonna write a paper that your professor doesn't agree with, and it may cost you points on a test. There may be a time, friend, when your work 
wants you to make decisions or spend your time doing things that you cannot level with your conscience. And you have to choose, is this about my kingdom or the kingdom of God? There may be a time when we are restricted as a church from engaging in uh, freedom of religious assembly or speech or time. We're gonna have to make our decision at that moment. We're gonna have to do those things. In fact, today, uh, today is the very first day I was looking at this uh, this past week. This is the beginning of Transgender Celebration Week. And uh, just nationally, I don't know if it's like a national holiday, but I know several organizations are gonna be celebrating that this week. And there have been several schools for the past few years, mostly high schools, some middle schools, who as part of their spirit week have inserted one of these days for a transgender celebration days. In fact, this past year, just last month, there was a school in Nevada and one in Michigan, I believe, that in elementary schools, elementary schools, they said, we're also going to incorporate transgender celebration day into our spirit week. Can I just tell you for a moment, if they begin doing that at my school where my kids are, I'll be doing prison ministry from the inside, okay? We must stand on the things of faith. Our kingdom is not here. Here's actually what the schools told the parents. They said, you can, you, if you keep your kids at home verbatim, you are raising your kid to be a bigot. That's what the schools told the parents. That's pretty wild, right? Wh whose responsibility is it to raise your children? Is it yours or the state? Because I have yet to see a state have a baby. So I would challenge you, friend, as we think about the current culture where we are, I was even listening um, last night and this morning at Sports Talk Radio, and they were talking about what it means, uh, what hate speech is. And it was mostly in relation to Kyrie Irving, nothing related to this. But I'll tell you this, when it becomes hate speech to say you are a sinner who needs Christ, otherwise you're going to die and go to hell, that is not hate speech. That is the most loving thing that I can say to you here this morning. That is the most loving thing that we can say to our culture, no matter what it costs us. And I don't expect that as we stand on the word of God, on the principles that the church has held for centuries that the culture is gonna say, you know what? Yeah, I think we're gonna change our mind on that. Our goal is not for the culture to change. Our goal is not for our lives to be better. We are being called to live for the Lord when it costs us everything and also when it changes nothing. The story of the Bible. What happened is what always happens. Nothing new under the sun. We pick up in verse number 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Real quick side note, the reason he's distressed is because he loved Daniel. Get that. A secular, pagan, idol-worshiping king loved this man who loved God so much and worshiped him to the point of literal death, but he didn't, he didn't start these parades and hashtags and uh, not my king, those kinds of things. He's not, he's not doing that. He served and loved Darius to the point that when Daniel's life was threatened, Darius was what? Finally, get rid of this religious guy. Golly. Like how many of your bosses would be like, man, I can't wait to get rid of this guy. 
or a lady, right? Because all I do is post Christian or just listen to Christian music. No, he was not abrasive with his belief. He was loving. He was merciful. He was distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king. We keep seeing that, that phrase to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. And slept, fled, sleep fled from him. He loved Daniel. And they completely disagreed. Pretty wild, huh? As we look at these last five verses here, 14 through 18, let me ask you this. Does, does Darius have faith or fear? He has fear. He's distressed. He can't eat. No diversions. There is no entertainment or anything else brought to his room that night. Being the king, he could have ordered whatever, whomever he wanted to order that night. Nothing. There was nothing. He couldn't sleep. He was fearful. He was looking for loopholes for this. This is going to be a trick question. So this is where you're like, I'm not, I'm not saying my answer out loud, okay? The satraps, the prefects, the presidents, these other, these politicians, these religious leaders, do they respond in faith or in fear? That's right. I knew you were going to answer that. Because don't be, oh, they responded in fear, okay, because faith is the Jesus answer. Here's the thing. They were responding with a faith that was in themselves. A faith that was in themselves. They had faith that they had their whole argument buttoned up. The lawyers had signed off on it. In fact, they had surveillance going to Daniel's house. We caught him in the eye. We got the videos right here. Check it out. They had faith in themselves. What was Daniel's response? And you're like, okay, whew, an easy one. Here we go. Okay, so Darius had fear. The politicians, religious leaders, they had faith in themselves. Daniel here has faith in whom? In God. He has faith in God. Does he know that God will rescue him? Yes or no? Does he know that God will rescue him? No, he does not. He does not. And we saw this back in chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going to the fiery furnace. He, they did not know that God was going to rescue them. Here's what faith looks like. God will deliver me either from this, from death, or he will deliver me through death. God will deliver either from death or through death. That's good news for us this morning. That's good news. Our options, just like these three categories of folks, are either fear, faith in self, or faith in God. My question for us this morning is, how are we going to respond? Is it going to be with courage or with compromise? Daniel here has courage. He has faith in God. Courage, the eighth thing, courage is infectious, but so is fear. 
Courage is infectious, but so is fear. The, the word encourage, if I want to encourage someone, it literally means to pour courage into someone. So if I brought Chris up here and I said, brother, I want to encourage you with this, fill in the blank. The visual for that is me taking a big old jug of courage and dumping it in him. That's strange, isn't it? Almost as strange as us volunteering to encourage someone. Have courage, have faith, grow in that. Some of us, listen, some of us in this room this morning have lots of courage and praise God for that. Friends, you may have brothers or sisters in this room sitting here this morning that need to borrow your courage until they can develop some of their own. That's why we are a body. May we be encouraging one another to stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in what Christ has done. The last thing I want us to see this morning is that you may not get the results that you want, but you're becoming the person that God wants. We are not results driven. Christianity does not work. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Jesus says, die to yourself. The world says, invest in yourself, believe in yourself, express yourself. Christianity doesn't make sense. It's countercultural. That's why since Genesis chapter three, we have the spirit of God and the spirit of Babylon warring against each other. Friends, we are called to be faithful, to stand on courage, and we leave the results up to God. We don't have courage for the sake of being successful, for the sake of this church growing and becoming enormous and for the sake of your bank account just skyrocketing and for the sake of your marriage looking beautiful and all of your kids walking perfectly. That's not why we have faith. That's not why we have courage. We have courage for the sake of the presence of Christ and to make him known. We have faith not in this world, but in a king and in a kingdom that is coming one day. And in that process, we are looking more and more like Christ, who, by the way, as our king and ruler and the founder, the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, how did he lead? By giving his life, by sacrificing himself. We, we see here, both Daniel and Jesus, we see this parallel here. Both Daniel and Jesus had religious leaders who wanted to kill them. Both Daniel and Jesus had a political leader who tried to spare their lives. Both Daniel and Jesus were thrown into the pit and left for dead. Both Daniel and Jesus had a stone that sealed the pit. Both Daniel and Jesus had a signet from the, from the political leader that said, nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out. But here's the difference. Daniel eventually died and Jesus Christ lives forever. And at the moment of our death, just like Daniel who eventually dies, at the moment of our death, because Jesus Christ rose again from that pit, victorious, when we die, we are ushered into a palace with him. And he has gone to prepare that mansion for us. So our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not to get out of this pit. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And just like Daniel did, 
right here in this passage, just like the people of God were commanded to do in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we set our eyes, our hearts, and our minds on the presence of Christ. That's what we're living for. That's what we're looking forward to. And the good news of the gospel, John chapter one, Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. He brought his presence down to us so that we don't just have to look forward to it one day. One day we get to experience the presence of Christ. Friends, we get to experience the presence of Christ today. We get to experience it this morning. You get to experience it this week. And I would plead with you to press in to that good news, not to the success of your faith, but to the Savior, to the promise of your faith.